Hey, thank you, Brother Dale. This is a little bit eerie. Reminds me of back when COVID was going on. And uh, glad that's not the case. We are talking tonight. The title of the message is The Lord is Faithful. We're in Psalm 34. That's the psalm that says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And we're going to pick up now at the uh, beginning of verse 4. And I want us to focus in on what David is going through. You remember he has been running from King Saul. His arrangement with Prince Jonathan told him that he had to run for his life. And so he leaves and he goes to uh, see a certain priest. And while he is there, he is scoping out the situation. He says, do you have a weapon available? Which is strange to think of when you go to church to ask for a sword or a spear. And the guy says, yes, I do have one. In fact, you'll recognize it, David. It's a sword of Goliath. And so he takes the sword of Goliath, that giant that he had killed a few years earlier. And we also are told that when he is there at the, uh, uh, with that priest, he sees one of Saul's men. Doeg is his name. And so he realizes he has to run for his life. And so he runs of all places to the Philistines and he goes to Gath, which just happened to be Goliath's hometown. Now, how would you like to be the giant killer, the killer of Goliath, in the Philistine town of Gath, where everybody there is probably related to Goliath, and you happen to be carrying Goliath's sword. And so uh, David knows he is in trouble. And with Achish, the king there, he starts acting like a crazy man, drooling down his beard and all of those things, until finally uh, David, instead of being killed, He is able to escape, runs for his life, and that is the context of this psalm. Isn't it strange that in this psalm, David expresses such great faith in the Lord, and yet he seems not so much to have that same faith when he is in front of the Philistine king. Now, maybe... When he writes this psalm, he is saying, I'm so grateful that I thought to do that and I'm grateful that it worked. Could be. Or it could be that maybe David has had a change, a little bit of a change of heart and recognizes that uh, faith in the Lord is something that we don't just sing about and profess. It's something that we live no matter what the situation is in which we find ourselves. And so we pick up at verse 4 of Psalm 34. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man, he's speaking of himself here, this poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. That's always good news. And saved him out of all of his troubles. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. And we'll stop there tonight. Now, David gives us some things that 
I think are sometimes a problem for modern day Christians. It shouldn't be. We have the Holy Spirit and we have all 66 books of the Bible. David did not have that in the same way that we do. And yet he sees some things in this psalm that I think we need to see as well. Sometimes we are fearful. Sometimes we don't know what to do. Sometimes we uh, trust in our own resources and our own wits to get us out of a situation which the Bible never tells us that we are to do that. We are to, of course, lean upon the Lord. So let's talk about some things that um, illustrate and show us the faithfulness of the Lord because the Lord never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the same God that was able to deliver David is the same God that is able to deliver us. I don't know what you face, but I know all of us have some things that cause us uh, alarm and fear and those type of things. So let's think about this. First of all, I want you to notice the link and I've got in parentheses, maybe it's the missing link. Now, I'm not talking about evolution or anything like that. I'm talking about the link between David who talks about praying to the Lord and then he sees what he is going through and where he is now as an answer to that prayer. Now, the reason I say that that is a good thing for us to do and something that we don't always do is... It's easy for us to pray in desperation. It's easy for us to seek the Lord when we say there's no other way out. It's like that old joke where the preacher comes in and says to his secretary, well, Mrs. Jones, there's nothing left to do but pray. And she says, oh, no, has it come to that? And that is one of those things that is old and kind of corny. And we've all heard that a thousand times. I probably said it a thousand times except it is so incredibly true. We come to the Lord as a last resort rather than a first resource because we really don't know Him or understand Him. Now, I think one of the reasons for that is we read the Bible, but we read the Bible for what we say it says about us and what it instructs us to do. And it does talk about us, and it does instruct us in a lot of things, but that's not the main purpose of the Bible. The main purpose of the Bible is that we might know God, that we might see Him. And so we look on every page to see the Lord and to see Jesus and to see things about Him that we would not know otherwise. And what we find here is that this missing link for a lot of believers is we cry out to the Lord in desperation. And then when everything works out, we go, oh, well, it's almost like we say, I guess I really didn't need to pray after all. It worked itself out. Well, David would say, not on your life. It was an answer to prayer. And the things that you have prayed about, you need to remember so that you can show thankfulness to the Lord and you can see the faithfulness of God. It didn't just work out. It didn't just happen anyway. It worked out because God was working in your life and carrying you through that rough time. I sought the Lord and he heard me. How many times have you sought the Lord and then because things didn't work out the way you thought they would or in the timing that you thought that they would, you just sort of forgot about it. And then when everything resolved and you felt better and you weren't under the pressure, you said, well, I made some wise decisions or some other people did some things that just kind of worked out or maybe they didn't do some things 
that you expected them to do. And now, sigh of relief, all is well, and you've forgotten about the fact that you were so desperate and that you sought the Lord and that the Lord heard you, David would say, and delivered me from all of my fears. So David saw that the Lord had actually answered his prayer. And so in a way, when he said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, that's what he's doing here. In a way, he is worshiping the God who was kind enough to answer his prayer. And worship always sees the power and the greatness but it also sees the mercy and the kindness of the Lord. I don't think we worship if all we see is God is love and God is kind and God is merciful. I think we worship when we see all of it, his power, his greatness. The fact that he didn't have to do anything for us. We are the ones in need, not God. And yet in his greatness and in his glory, he was also kind and merciful. And so David here is thankful for who he is and thankful for what he has done. So if we always gathered or if we had our quiet time thinking about who God is and what he has done and how kind he has been to us, uh, I don't think you can help but worship. It reminds me of the ten lepers in Luke chapter 7 uh, or 17, excuse me. And Jesus, at the end, after he heals them, then Jesus said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And I'm afraid so many times we are more like the nine instead of like the one, and we don't come to give thanks to the Lord. And we kind of forget, and we're just glad it all worked out. And uh, just answer this question, How much has God done in answer to prayers that you... Uh, haven't really connected the link between your prayer and God's answer there's a missing link there a disconnect we might say and we need to like David put all of those things together God has been far better to you than you probably even realize number two notice here there's a transformation David makes this statement this is kind of strange now keep this in context of a guy who is acting crazy, who is babbling, and who is drooling down his beard. And it says in verse 5, They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. Looking to whom? Well, not the king of the Philistines. The king of the Philistines would just soon kill them as anything, and he was under pressure to do that. But God had brought him out. And David is saying, when you're looking at your circumstances, when you're looking at life the way that it is, you're going to be depressed. You're going to be maybe uh, tempted to uh, act like something that you're not. And a lot of Christians do that. They don't know who they are in Christ. And they don't act like a believer. Or in David's case, he's acting crazy. But when he looks to the Lord, something else happens. You see, David was apparently fearful of what the king of the Philistines would do. And yet the one who could actually do something to him, the Lord of hosts, he, there's a different reaction. When he looks at the king, he acts crazy. When he looks at the Lord, his face is radiant. And that radiance comes from a peace that David has in his heart. It wasn't just a fake smile. It wasn't just the type of thing that we put on just because we're supposed to or because of what we want people to think. David had peace from the Lord that came 
from his heart. And so David goes from drooling to actual radiance. And his heart was flooded with peace, which brought out the joy of the Lord, which was his strength. Proverbs 4.23, David's son Solomon writes, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. And so David, when his face is radiant, he doesn't have to fake it because that's what is in his heart. Why is it in his heart? Because when he looked at one king, he had tremendous fear. When he looked at the other king, the king of the universe, his heart is flooded with peace and with joy, which is part of the fruit of the Spirit. So David was traumatized and he looked crazy. He is fearful. And the Lord gave him something that the world never could, peace and a radiant countenance. And as we look at the news, as we look at everything going on around us, as we look at our own family sometimes, as we look at the government, we're going to have a tendency to be fearful and to uh, maybe even sometimes say some crazy things and act crazily when the truth is we need to be looking to the Lord in everything we do. And the Lord will change our heart. And when our heart is changed, well, then even our countenance and our words are changed as we navigate through all of the craziness of this world. Number three, notice the resources. And David calls himself something very strange. We don't think about the future king of Israel like this. But David calls himself a poor man, this Poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. Now, when he talks about being a poor man, keep in mind in those days in Israel, being poor was not considered a virtue. Being poor was considered under the judgment of God. Being poor meant that you were doing something wrong. You weren't very smart. You weren't very spiritual. You were sinning against God or something like that. And yet David identifies himself as a poor man and at that particular time he was what resources did he have how much money did he have what kind of title did he have who's going to believe him here he is on the run from Saul he looks like a wanted man and so uh, that's the way he would be treated and Saul is going to pursue him like a dog pursue him like a criminal and David doesn't have any resources with which to fight back to defend himself or do anything like that. And if you take the idea that a poor man is under the curse of God, then what uh, standing does a poor man have before God then? If you're poor because you are not right with God, then how are your prayers going to be answered? And yet David says, this poor man prayed to the Lord and the Lord saved him out of all of his troubles. I think it's a statement of humility. I think it's also a statement of fact. This is literally where David was. A man without any hope. A man without any resources. Apart from the Lord himself. And so the humility of David caused him to pray. Do you find yourself sometimes not wanting to pray? Do you find yourself sometimes waiting to pray until there's nothing else to do? I think that's a statement of pride when we do that because it's as if we are saying to the Lord, I got this, I can handle this, I'll call you if I need you. You ever said that to anybody? Somebody says, if there's anything I can do for you and um, you answer, well, I'll call you if I need anything. Well, we can do that with one another. But we're not to do that with the Lord. What we are to do with the Lord is to call on Him for the, uh, at the very first 
of the situation in which we find ourselves. And David doesn't come before the Lord saying, okay, Lord, after all, you know, I'm your anointed. You can't fulfill all of your promises and the Davidic covenant without me. In fact, I'm an ancestor of the Messiah. You can't do it without me. David would call that blasphemous. In fact, he comes to him saying, this poor man, this desperate man, this beggar called upon the Lord. And lo and behold, the Lord answered me and delivered me out of all of my troubles. And so he's glorifying the Lord, magnifying the Lord, and he's in awe of the fact that God would actually hear somebody like him. And that's the way we are to approach the Lord in humility and so um, the humility of David caused him to pray. And it says that he delivered him out of all of his troubles, which is a reminder there is no situation you will ever find yourself in, just like David, that is too big for God. This same guy that was not sure how he would escape from the Philistine king, that's the same guy that as a kid a few years earlier had stood in front of a giant and how fierce was the giant so fierce that King Saul wasn't going to stand before him so fierce that all the armies of the uh, of Israel would not fight him and yet David said to him you remember that uh, what he said a little paraphrase here you come against me with a spear and a sword but I come against you in the name of the Lord's uh, uh, the name of the Lord of hosts in other words, you know what David was saying? Come against me with everything you've got. I come against you in the power of the Lord. I win because you're already defeated. Now, what if we approached all of our problems like David did? Well, if you feel guilty and feel a little bit convicted, you're in good company because even David didn't do that all the time, did he? And he certainly didn't in this situation. Where was the faith of the junior high kid named David who killed the, uh, the giant in front of the king in this situation? You would think he would be better. You know, sometimes as we grow, we're not always better. And sometimes we feel like we have more to lose and we think it's going to cost us more and uh, we find ourselves not being near as faithful as we ought to be. Steve Lawson says, the word troubles here that David was delivered from means to be restricted, tied up, limited, inhibited. But this impossible situation David was dramatically delivered from by the angel of the Lord. And we'll talk about the angel of the Lord in just a moment. But Psalm 142 verses 4 through 6 says, look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they too, they are too strong for me what is David saying I can't handle this you know it bugs me when I hear people say well you know the Bible says God will never put you in a situation that's too big for you to handle uh, chapter and verse please because it doesn't say that it says you won't be tempted above what you're able to bear but with it God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it 
You know, sometimes I'm looking for a door when I'm tempted. And God said, nope, I'm going to help you to endure this. So you'll hate it and so you'll learn from it as well. But it never says that every situation in life is going to be something that you can handle. In fact, God routinely will put his people in situations that are bigger than them, things that they can't get out of so that they have to turn to him. And that's one of the, way God, one of the ways God humbles us. It's one of the ways that he sanctifies us. It's one of the ways that he teaches us. He puts us in a situation where we have to have his help and we can't handle it in our own strength and our resources that's what he's saying here David saw himself as a bankrupt man before God and absolutely helpless without any kind of resources and the Lord heard and saved and David saw the Lord as all that he needed what if you face life saying that Jesus is all I need and he is enough for every situation this is not the kind of thing to where we go well Jesus is all I've got so I guess I'll just have to make do and maybe something will work out it's a spirit of confidence not in self but in the Lord my soul David said earlier in the verses shall boast in the Lord and so when your boasting is in the Lord and your boasting is in the cross you're standing in confidence knowing that whatever you face it is never ever too big for the Lord it reminds me of Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God the spiritual beggars those without resources they receive the kingdom of God because they walk through the narrow gate having abandoned everything and submitted everything to the Lord and trusting only in Christ the old hymn says nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling and so when you feel yourself utterly unworthy you have hit the truth and that is a quote from none other than Charles Spurgeon when you feel unworthy you have hit the truth because that really is the case but good news is God redeems the unworthy God redeems the bankrupt God hears the prayer of the humble God hears the prayer of those without any other resources and so you're in good shape and that's what David is saying and then lastly Notice uh, the promise. The angel of the Lord. Have you uh, ever heard that phrase? That ought to ring a bell somewhere in the back of your mind. The angel of the Lord. He encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He encamps around them and he delivers them. If they fear the Lord. Now by fearing the Lord, of course, we're not talking about people who dread the Lord people who don't want to be in front of the Lord. I think about Queen Esther, whenever she wanted to go before the king, her husband. And you remember that when you didn't have an appointment with the king or were not summoned by the king, you walked in in peril of your life. He had a scepter. And if he would raise that scepter, then you were okay. But if he didn't raise that scepter, uh, you could be executed. Now, can you imagine how her heart must have been pounding? How her palms must have been a little sweaty? What's going to happen when I go before the king? And she goes before the king, and the king looks, and he says, Oh, Queen Esther, and then he raises a scepter. How wonderful must that have been? And how much better must she have felt 
because of what she was going to do in exposing the plot of Haman to kill all of the Jews of which she was one. Well, can you imagine that when we go before a far greater and a far more powerful king, the creator of the universe who hates sin, and we as sinners approach him, and what does he do when we come before him in the name of Jesus? He raises the scepter. He says, welcome. And that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says, we can come before the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. He says, we can come boldly before the Lord. Not arrogantly, not in our own strength, not boasting in ourselves, but we come confident in the Lord because Christ has made us worthy through his death, burial, and resurrection. He's paid the price in full, and he has paid the price for all of our sin, and he has given us his righteousness so that when we come before the Lord, we are welcomed as the Lord Jesus is welcomed. And David is expressing here something that is very, very wonderful and something that is thrilling if you will let it sink into your soul. Whatever situation that you are in, the Bible says here about uh, David's life, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who are anointed king. Um, no, that's not what it says. It would include that, but that's not what it says. Well, the Lord, the angel of the Lord encamps all around people who kill giants with a slingshot and are very brave. Well, that would include that, but that's not the case. The uh, angel of the Lord encamps around those who write great psalms that are included in the Word of God. Well, that would be included here, but that's not what it says. The angel of the Lord encamps, around, uh, uh, encamps all around those who fear Him. And by fear Him, we're talking about people who submit to Him, who honor Him, who love Him, who follow Him who are devoted to him. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And it also says he delivers them. Now the angel of the Lord, where have we heard that before? Well, it's what theologians would call a Christophany or some would call a theophany. It means an appearance of God or an appearance of Christ. Now Christ has not been born yet. So uh, don't, don't make the mistake that a second grade Sunday school teacher of mine made we were talking about the Ten Commandments, and uh, she said, who wrote the Ten Commandments? And a little girl, her name was Suzanne, she said, Jesus. And the teacher goes, oh, no, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus hadn't been born yet. And uh, in my mind, as a seven-year-old, I thought, oh, that makes sense. There wasn't a Jesus until Bethlehem. Well, let me just back up and say, I've corrected my theology since then, the Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later in that chapter tells us who that Word is. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the, only, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, right? So it's talking about Jesus. And so the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. In other words, before Bethlehem and before He ever took on flesh, there were times when he would appear. And he's not just any old angel. He is the capital A, angel of the Lord. And David is saying, even back before Bethlehem, that he had the angel of the Lord with him. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus was with him, and the Lord Jesus was protecting him. In other words, everything that God had promised about David 
to David and through David was going to be taken care of. No Philistine king could stop it. No Israeli king like Saul could stop it. Nobody could because this was the will of God. David had been anointed to be king and he was going to be king. David was an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes as a descendant of David in the flesh. And one day the promise is he is going to sit on the throne of his father David. Boy, there's a lot at stake here in David's life. David cannot fail and yet David doesn't have the power to succeed. What does this tell us? The Lord is faithful. And David wasn't always faithful. We know that, don't we? There were times when he sinned. And we can all think about the time when he sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba and the time when he had Bathsheba's husband murdered. That's pretty great sin. But that wasn't the only sin that David committed. There were other sins as well that he committed. And yet David remained uh, he ascended to the throne. He remained on the throne in spite of the rebellion of his own son Absalom and uh, all of the things that he faced. And even greater than that, the Lord Jesus came. And that's what we celebrated at Christmas. He was born as God in human flesh so that he might fulfill all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, which would include those made to David. And then he would live a perfect life and die on the cross and God would punish him in our place for each and every one of our sins so that we could take upon ourselves the righteousness of Christ, be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which means we are never out of the presence of God. I used to hear people pray when I was a kid in church, Oh Lord, we come into your presence. And it sounded good to me, and so I started saying that. Well, I had to correct it. Because we're never out of the presence of God. In fact, whenever we have a funeral for a saint who has died and they've gone on to be with the Lord, we're not necessarily simply saying goodbye to them. We are simply acknowledging the fact that their address has changed. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And that's the joy of knowing we are never apart from Him. We are never... Well, He said... I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's what David is making reference to here in the Old Testament. This is an appearance of Christ who stays with his people. He is always with us. Even he said that. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is always with us, but he also is the one who delivers us. How many things have you been delivered from today in attack of the enemy? Maybe there's somebody who planned and plotted something against you, even on a physical level. Maybe there's something that happened. We were in uh, Sydney, Australia, and those people down under don't know which uh, side of the street to drive on. They even get on the wrong side of the car. You know what that means? Americans like me, especially those who don't think a whole lot like me, have a tendency to get hit by cars. Because when you step off the curb, everything within me said, look to the left. Guess which direction they're coming from. And I stepped off of the curb and somebody grabbed me on the back of my jacket and said, don't go yet. And a car went right by or I would have been in trouble. Now, I can look at that and say, boy, I'm so glad that somebody did that. At the same time, was that the Lord 
that caused them to do that? Was that because angels were encamped around me at that particular time? And I think you can say, yeah, because it's the Lord who actually delivers us. He can use whomever he chooses, but it's the Lord who delivers us. I love 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Did you ever think you'd hear the Apostle Paul say that? I mean, he's the one that said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Even he didn't do that all the time. In everything give thanks. Even he didn't do that all the time. Despairing of life. Ready to die. It was bigger than he was. Oh, so glad it doesn't end there. Verse 9. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. And then he gives us the word that. A purpose in this. What was the purpose of that, Lord? That we should not trust in ourselves but in the God who raises the dead. Ah, oh, Lord, now it makes sense. And so there are things that we go through that the Lord is teaching us. Quit trusting in yourself. Quit drooling like a madman. Quit trying to get out of situations in your own strength. I delivered you from the giant. I can deliver you from this king. I can deliver you from King Saul. I can deliver you from the rebellion of your own son. Trust me in that. Paul goes on to say in this passage in 2 Corinthians, who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death and does deliver us, present tense, that's why we're alive, and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. That's future. So right there, Paul says past deliverance, present deliverance, future deliverance and that's done by Christ why because like David said he encamps about us he's always with us and he delivers us from every situation that we're in oh no I can't be true I don't know how you can say that because I know a guy who got in a situation and he died what do you think happens to a believer when they die they're delivered from all of the pain toil suffering injustice all of that stuff from this world and they're taken to a perfect place. So even in death, we are being delivered from this present evil age and the world in which we live. And so no wonder we're told that we ought to be thankful and uh, the reason that we are to rejoice in the Lord because really it's a win-win situation. We just don't lose. So lift up your head. Why are you downcast? David said in another place. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why is my spirit disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. And that's what the hope that we have is. So we sum all this up by saying, you want to see the faithfulness of the Lord, recognize it and rejoice in it, and just really feel it like a warm blanket wrapping around you on a cold day like today? Well, then pray and give thanks when prayer is answered. Don't just take it for granted. And don't just let it slip by. And then trust the Spirit to work on your heart. And let your joy come from the inside. There's enough masks and enough masquerading and faking everything out. 
Wouldn't it be nice to have the true joy of the Lord to be your strength and come from the inside radiating out like David uh, had when his countenance was and his face was radiant? Let your inadequacy, instead of discouraging you, let it drive you to the Lord and his sufficiency in all things. He has never come up against anything that he wasn't ready for and prepared for because he's an all-knowing God. And he's never run across anything that he wasn't sure if he could handle because he's an all-powerful, omnipotent God. And so this God that we serve, he is our resource. And then remember that Jesus never forsakes you and he um, has, does, and will deliver you And we need to think about the fact that this God who has brought us this far isn't going to forsake us at this point because he has a plan for you and the steps of the righteous are ordered of God. He knew you were going to be in this situation before you ever got there and he indeed is your way out. No wonder David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together because we all have those trying circumstances. We all are put into situations that are beyond us and that we have to turn to the Lord. And then we also find out that the reason, and and I think when we get to heaven, we'll spend an eternity rejoicing in the fact that God delivered us when we didn't even know it and we weren't even aware of it. Certainly he did it on the cross, but Paul says he does deliver us and he will deliver us and one day we will certainly be with him forever and ever. And to all of that, God's people say amen and amen. Well, thank you for your time tonight. We appreciate it so very much. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we pray for our people tonight and we know that While we always try to pray for the sick and we pray for the grieving, we pray for those who are going through rough times, and we don't want to discount any of that. We do ask you to heal and to bless and encourage and strengthen. But we forget about people who are going through trials. And we tend to forget about that until we go through it, and then we uh, certainly call attention to it. But people are going through things that are pressing them as Paul said beyond their strength and beyond measure and they don't know what to do oh father we pray for them that first of all we might have compassion on them that we might love them that we might minister to them and serve them and walk alongside them but we pray you would also call to their mind that you are the God who never leaves his children even in the worst of times and you are the one who delivers us Maybe not in the time we thought or wanted. Maybe not in the way we wanted. And our deliverance may be in the fact that you take us home to be with you. So in other words, Lord, as Wayne Robinson used to say, it's a win-win situation. And because of that, we rejoice in you. We say, thank you, Lord. And may you be glorified in us, even as we go through the trials. And the old hymn says, oh, for grace to trust him more. And to that we say, in Jesus' name granted, amen and amen. Thank you much.